This time we'll have a reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Last Sunday, the reading was about the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus as we have a record of what took place in the synagogue. And now our passage today is of Jesus and four disciples leaving the synagogue. In verse 29, Mark chapter 1, verse 29, hear the word of God. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went into her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Let's follow the reading from God's holy word. Scripture for the sermon is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles if you want to follow along. And we'll begin with prayer. Lord God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move among us. And as you're blessing others, we pray that you would not pass us by. But Lord, we would ask that we could be faithful disciples of Christ, that we could learn today and we could grow, and to realize that your word is for us to flourish and to thrive, and we would look upon it as your people did of old, as, as if it were as sweet as honey and as precious as gold. We thank you that your word declares to us a person and work of Christ who came down from heaven for our salvation. And we thank you, Lord, today that you put before us a, a word that is foundational for our life. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that the preaching be faithful and that we would know Jesus as our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, and so often in church, we tend to go to a paragraph here and a paragraph there. We have a devotional that does something like that. And a, a really great practice is to read the uh, Gospels through like their own books. And Mark would be the first Gospel written. Uh, people that have studied this are of almost absolute certainty that this was the case. And Mark was written by someone called John Mark, who lived in Jerusalem and helped Peter later. And 
it uh, was in the early church a testimony that the, these were Peter's memories, his, his recollections, and written down by uh, the younger man, uh, John Mark. And at the start of the gospel, there's this amazing statement, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so this book is about someone, the only person ever, who is the Messiah, the one that was looked for by the Jewish people, the Christ, the anointed one, and he's the Son of God. It'd be very startling to read for the first time, and it's backed up by the various scriptures that follow of a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, that there would be a herald that would come and call people to repentance, and that was a person of John who showed up baptizing in the desert region, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside goes out to him. And he's dressed like Elijah. He has the spirit and power of Elijah. And he says uh, to that there's going to be somebody who's going to come after him that he can't compare with, that he's not worthy to be his lowest slave, to carry his his sandals, or to untie them. And then Jesus comes, and John baptizes him as uh, being our representative, not because of sinfulness in his part. And when that happened, we have the heavens open, and the Spirit come upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And after that experience, temptation in the wilderness, uh, testing uh, to see if Jesus, who is God and also man, would be faithful to his calling. And he, of course, as we'll see uh, later going through this, that he was uh, faithful to God's instruction. And then we have the call of the first disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, the preaching of Jesus that the kingdom of God is near to repent and believe the good news. And now last week, last Sunday, in a synagogue in Capernaum, a service that would have been very much like our own service today. There were scriptures, prayers, there were songs that came from the Psalms. The Psalms were sung in worship, and there was preaching. And here Jesus went to the synagogue and he did the preaching as a traveling rabbi, and the people were amazed at his teaching. Uh, he taught like one who had authority. It wasn't like anything they'd experienced before. A rabbi so-and-so saying, well, it could be this way, it could be that way. Jesus taught with authority. And then after that, he was, he was challenged by this demon. Uh, why have you come? Why are you here? Have you come to destroy us? We, I, we know you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked the demon, told him to be quiet, and uh, sent him away. And so the people were amazed at his, the authority in his preaching. They were amazed at his authority over evil spirits. And that was the synagogue experience. And now they leave the synagogue as our passage begins. And they go to Peter's house. There are four disciples. Uh, James and John are included now with Jesus as they go to the home of Simon and Andrew. So if you happen to 
have the opportunity to visit uh, Israel, and nearly everybody I know that visits Israel goes to the Sea of Galilee. And at the Sea of Galilee, you can visit the town of Capernaum and the ruins there. And in that town, there is, in fact, Peter's house. Now, for those who are skeptical, they might say, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, is that Peter's house, really? Uh, but excavation seems to uh, state with some certainty. We know that church met there, and we uh, have a testimony in the early church that this was, in fact, Simon Peter's house. And so it was not a little small house. It was a bigger house. It was one also for his brother. And uh, we have included here in verse uh, 30, his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law lived there on the premises also. And so uh, some people have the view that Peter was the first pope. And of course, I don't have that view, but if you have that view, uh, you have to also look at the fact that Peter was married. All right? Peter had a, had a mother-in-law. And it seems from Paul's writing to the church at, at Corinth that when Peter went on his missionary journeys, he also took his believing wife along. So um, uh, th this was uh, the situation here with Peter. He had a, he had a nice home. Uh, he had a great business fishing along the Sea of Galilee. And we uh, have Jesus coming to the house now after being in worship, uh, just like you're going to go home today and I assume eat something. Uh, in the Jewish experience, it, it, it would most likely have been prepared ahead of time and for, ready for the Sabbath day so people could have a, a complete rest. The Shabbat means to rest. And it was uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law then that had a high fever when Jesus comes. Now, the other Gospels that record the event also, uh, Luke and Matthew, uh, we learned there that they actually made a request of Jesus to address her problem. So Peter's mother-in-law was in bed uh, with a high fever. She, had no, she didn't have any strength. And in Luke's Gospel, we read that they asked Jesus to help her. And we think of the Isaiah passage today, uh, where God gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. If you've ever had a high fever, you know that you can be very strong, but if you have a high fever, you're really, really weak. And I've had a couple, at least in my life, that I can remember and one was uh, as an adult where I had to, uh, I was to go to a, a meeting in Rapid City for our presbytery and it was important that I go. And I had this flu with that fever. And my, my son was home, he could drive me, but I couldn't even get to the car. And uh, that uh, it shows you what, uh, how much power you really have. And this is the situation with this, this woman. And we have, the uh, work of Jesus here in verse 31. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. So the same Greek word here that's found in 
Mark 16, 6, he is risen. Uh, he raised her up. And those who hope in the Lord, this is a promise, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And so we see this actually coming to pass with the person and the work of Christ. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So we read about many miracles uh, that came after the Sabbath. Uh, in verse 32, that evening after sunset. So the Jewish way of reckoning the Sabbath was from Friday night, Saturday would be the day of the gathering at the synagogue, and the Sabbath would go on until three stars appeared. And so in the evening, we read that Verse 33, that evening after, 32 after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the town, all the sick and demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at his door. That would have been something, wouldn't it be Peter and you open the door and the whole town is out there, everybody. And they all got problems. They're, they brought somebody with a problem. They, they have a problem themselves. Uh, you know, they don't have the medical doctors that we have in our day. Uh, all these sick people. And the account here in verse 34 is that Jesus healed many. And in the other accounts of Matthew and Luke, we find the description, he healed them all. He healed them all. But the whole town showed up outside his door. And so it was just part of a, a Sabbath, or the end of the Sabbath, actually, but the, a part of a day. And now he heals the whole town. It's showing that he had power over sickness. And he had power over demons, as they also are mentioned again in verses 32 and 34. They brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and he healed many who had various diseases, he also drove out many demons. He would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And this happened earlier at the synagogue, right? Where the demon said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Well, Jesus didn't really want their acknowledgement. He wanted his disciples to come to faith, to believe, and then to confess that he was the Son of God, that he was Jesus said, what about you? What, what do you? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. That's who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's the Christ. And, and he wanted his disciples to get to that point where they can confess him. And that happens in chapter 8 of this gospel. So his followers must learn the faith lesson that he is able to overcome, overcome the forces of evil. And that's a great encouragement to me because I see it many times, displays of the devil's power. And it's very discouraging. But here, Jesus shows that he is able to send these demons away. And Matthew, here, in this, as he connects with this passage, as he talks about these people being sick and being brought to him, after the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, 
He writes, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. So here's the a signpost that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one that is going to be that suffering servant that Isaiah t- talked about. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And Matthew said this is, this is a fulfillment of that. Imagine a whole town healed. And of course, when people have physical problems, they, they want healing. They, they, they need healing. And, and then they all showed up. We have Peter's mother-in-law in verse 30 being healed. And we have this response of, her, of this woman uh, to be an example to us that our response to the healing of Jesus, to his deliverance, should be to serve the Lord. And what a fine example of Peter's mother-in-law. He, Jesus helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. I remember once uh, I overhearing some, some lady uh, I think in jest, speak about this verse, and she said, oh, oh, sure. She got right up from her sick bed and went to serve the men. Well, that's not the right way to look at it, actually. That's, we're not to be politically correct here. The example is that she went right to serving. And because of what Christ did for her, she wanted to serve him. And so we need to examine our response as someone who's received spiritual healing from Christ. Now there's an acknowledgement of that in Mark's gospel, chapter five, we're gonna to come to it, uh, this healing of this person who had the demon dr- demons driven out. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. See that? That should be part of our, our story about how much Christ has done for us. It should be a life of gratitude where we're, you know, people look at us and we, we know that they know that we're thankful to the Lord, that we love him and offer to him grateful service. We think about love languages, uh, that has been identified here in recent years uh, where we have um, words of affirmation and physical touch and giving of gifts and so forth. And one of the the, uh, examples of of love in action is acts of service. When people do stuff for for you, well, here's, here's our Lord. His whole life was an act of, of, of acts of service. And as he described his life in Mark chapter 10, his example was, he said, I want you to follow this example. The example of our Lord, he said, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the, the question for us is, is how can I take my place in the Lord's church and how can I serve him with the distinctive talents he has given me? We talked about the parable of the talents here 
in late uh, November, and uh, many of you have, have talked about that, uh, the talents that you've been given and so forth and thought about it. How, how can you serve the Lord? And our Savior sets an example for his people of what it means to serve God is he uh, is a person of prayer in verse 35. Now he's had a, a long day and very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So who is Jesus? He is the son of God and he's also man. And as a human, uh, he is an example for us that we're to be people of prayer. And he teaches us by example of going to a solitary place to pray. We remember his instruction in the Sermon on the Mount. He said there were people that like to pray for show. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. If you only pray to be seen by others, that's all the reward you get. And he goes on to say, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here, here's what you're to do privately. You're, you're, you're to go somewhere where it's just you and the Lord praying to your father who's unseen and your father who sees what you're doing will respond to you, will reward you. We have this promise of, of our Lord. When I was in seminary, uh, going back as a pastor, I, I had the privilege of, of studying under uh, a man who was well-known for his book on Reformed liturgics, and he uh, gave instruction to the class that in worship, prayer should be short, and if you are, uh, to make a difference, rather, between public and private, and to have long prayers in private. And so when I pray in, in church, I try to do only what is necessary, if you will, only the things that well, we're required to pray about, things that happen during our week and so forth that uh, we're, we're concerned about to pray for the church, uh, but not to make that an exercise of going on and on. Because Jesus said the concepts of the prayer should be like this. And, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is its own prayer, but it's also a model for us. It's a, a way to pray. Our Father, this is how, this then is how you should pray. In Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So one of our big concerns in life is God's name. And because of that, our life is about glorifying the Lord. We don't want God's reputation dragged through the mud. Uh, we want to speak up in, in uh, support of the Lord. And so this is part of our, our prayer that 
that God's name would be reverenced and also his kingdom. God's kingdom would come in opposition to the devil's rule and his kingdom trying to advance. We're praying that God's kingdom would would, would uh, rule the day. And that when we think about our own kingdom, our own sphere of authority, that as Jesus said, we would give priority. We would make his kingdom first, first place. And then we, we would pray that God's will would be done, not my will, not your will, but God's will be done. And so here, here's how we should pray. People wonder what what to pray about. Well, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Start with these important concepts and go on then to these thoughts that he has for us in uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, our Savior came into this world. He had a mission. And the mission included going to the cross, of course. Uh, But... When Simon Peter and his companions found him finally, he was in a solitary place, and they gave him a mild rebuke, I think, as you read this. They found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Where have you, in other words, where have you been? You know, you healed this whole town, now everybody's looking for you. And and here you are, off in this lonely place. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. He didn't capitalize on his fame. He didn't, because these people were not of faith, they were looking for healing of the body. Jesus said, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. The main message of Jesus main purpose was to be a prophet, the great and final prophet, the one who would bring God's word to the people. And uh, we would have his apostles to teach us further the things of God. That is why I have come. And so uh, we read he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Uh, That was his work, preaching. Now the miracles confirmed his message. The miracles uh, verified that Jesus was who he was, that he, had, he bore our, our infirmities. He, 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 did, he did this work that Isaiah talks about. They confirmed his message, but these miracles of healing brought transitory blessings. They were, they were only for a time. Only for a time. A few years back, I hit a deer with the Impala, and then we made, after that, we found a hood in northwest Iowa, and uh, my sons helped me uh, install the hood there, and uh, on the way down, I was having trouble with uh, uh, plantar fasciitis, if you've ever had that before, and we picked up the hood, we went to my son's house, put it on, and the next morning we left, and as we were about three miles down the road, a new check engine light came on. And I, I told my wife, I said, this car reminds me of myself, you know, get one damaged part fixed and, 
and the warning light comes on for something else. And in, in, in life, you know, we, we get fixed up again, and, and praise God, we have access to medical providers, uh, doctors and physicians that uh, do a, a wonderful uh, job and have this collection of medical knowledge to, to make our lives better. Uh, it was not so in Jesus' time. But, in, and that's extremely important. But what Jesus is saying here is that hearing a sermon that is God's word is even more important and needed for our soul and, and it can bring eternal life to us. And so he said, I, I want to go to other places, not so I can keep healing, but so I can preach there also. And he said, that is why I have come. And so the word of Christ brings, as it did here, as it brought here, eternal blessings and eternal life to all who believe. And Jesus made this comparison in Luke 5. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's why we refer to him as a great physician. He's a great physician of our souls. And someday uh, there will be no more sickness that's connected to uh, death, uh, the curse of sin. Uh, there won't be any of that for God's people. It will certainly be uh, brought about. You know, it, often people get uh, confused today and um, just want to make this remark, and, and I don't mean to um, unjustly criticize people, but a lot of this stuff on television, on some of these play channels, where people are, are healing others on, on the screen, and uh, you have to walk through a line, and they sort people out as to what those are going to get to walk through. And, uh, you know, people that are told, well, if you send in your money, I'll pray over your envelope, and you'll have healing. Some of this stuff is just so wrong, and it's, it's charlatans. It's not the gospel. If you think about it, how could it be? And this gift of healing that people claim to have, you know, they ought to visit the hospital and go and heal everybody if that's their gift. Uh, we don't see this gift continuing on uh, very long into the apostolic uh, period. Uh, we have Paul uh, with, a, with a health problem, and he prays to God, and, and, and God doesn't give healing, even though he's got faith. Uh, he leaves uh, various missionary team members at different places sick and thanks God when they're healed, uh, they, they recover. But we, we don't see this gift of healing and uh, going on in our day. And so don't be among those that get fooled by this. Uh, God is going to grant healing, uh, but um, we're all going to face death until the Lord comes again. And the Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul, life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the next question asks, 
uh, how, how can you have this comfort and how can you have this blessedness? What do you have to know for that? And the answer is you have to know three things. You have to know how great your sin and misery are. Because if you think, you know, I don't need God, I don't need forgiveness, I'm just as good as this person down the street, uh, God's not going to help you. But if you see how great your sin and misery are, how, how sick in your soul you are, and then you see how you're set free from your sins and misery. How is that done? Through the cross of Christ, having him as your Savior and Lord. And third, how am I to thank God for such deliverance? Well, you live a life of gratitude. You, you learn to obey him. And so the greatness of my sin, how I am to be set free, and how I'm to thank God for his deliverance. Well, you know, as you look through the life of Jesus, you see that he came to preach. And he's a great physician of our souls. And so we need this very high view of the gospel, uh, knowing who Jesus is, so we can give a clear confession. He's a Christ. He's the Son of God. He's our Savior, and he's our example. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, as we uh, live our life uh, if we are believers, to be able to confess Christ, to be able to serve him faithfully, uh, this is our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.